Good morning. Second Corinthians chapter one. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death, but that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. For our boast is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. For we are not writing to you anything other than what you read and understand and I hope you will fully understand, just as you did partially understand us, that on the day of our Lord Jesus, you will boast of us as we will boast of you. Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? As surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Not that we lord it over your faith, but we work with you for your joy, for you stand firm in your faith. Let's pray. 
Father, give us understanding of your word. Lord, comfort hearts today from the truth of your word by your Holy Spirit, by the grace that's given to us, Lord. Lift our heads that we might walk in joy, that we might be a reflection of your life to the world around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Message is entitled, The God of All Comfort. Chapter 1, we see a division. First 11 verses are the example of Paul in suffering and trial. And secondly, the integrity of Paul, which is called into question by the false teachers that have come in. Paul begins with that again. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Paul did not choose himself, but for those false teachers, and listen, folks, that's always going to be a problem in the church. It doesn't matter what your doctrinal position is, there's always going to be those that come in. Now, personally, I don't understand that. We're pretty clear about where we stand on, on the Bible. We just preach what's there and we try to understand. Now, when we get to heaven, all of us, We'll have a little more understanding. Others, a lot more understanding, right? Like me, when we get to heaven. Ray, last week when he stepped into to glory, probably thought Ezekiel did a pretty good job writing down what he saw. We look at Ezekiel 1 and go, what, what is that? But now Ray knows. He says, oh, yeah. There's a lot of things we're going to get tuned up on. But we stand on the word of God and we desire to just speak what it says, very simply. That's becoming more and more rare today. And yet, we every once in a while, we'll have these folks come in that they come to our church and they're here to enlighten us, to straighten everybody out, and they become factious. Now, if I went to a church, a charismatic church, to try to straighten them out on their doctrine, or a Presbyterian church to try to straighten them out on baptism of infants, then I would be factious. You see, factious isn't just doctrine, it's an attitude, isn't it? And so they come into our church and they're going to just straighten us all out and, and enlighten us. It's always been the problem with the church. It's always going to be the problem until God takes us to heaven. Now, I'm not saying all the people that come in are unsaved. I don't know their hearts. The Bible says only the man and God know the heart that's in that man. But Paul as a shepherd was always looking out for wolves. That's what we're supposed to do. Not only preach the gospel, teach people observe all things, care for them, but also look out for wolves. You know what a wolf does? He separates. He tried to come in and separate, and then he devours. We've seen it. In the life of this church, the time I've been here, every once in a while somebody comes in and they're, they're, well, they're well received because we love them and they say they're a believer and pretty soon you see them just taking a little herd, just whispering here, whispering there. And when they lead them out, they lead them nowhere. They, leave, they just leave them hanging out there because Wolf just wants to eat one, make sure they feel good, and then they leave. We've seen it happen over and over again. Now Paul in this epistle is not 
concerned what people think of him as much as he is how the church is taken care of. And so that's why he begins. Listen, he said, I didn't choose myself. God saved me. He's the one that set me apart. So when he speaks authoritatively as an apostle, he's speaking for the Lord. So if you don't like Paul, he's saying that's one thing. But what God says is truth. We have a lot today that they'll like Paul because he set an order of the things that are in the church. He said, the home ought to look like this. The church ought to look like this. He said, oh, well, you know, Paul, he just had an attitude about this or that. No, Paul was just speaking for God. And when he wrote the doctrine of the church, that's for our protection. So he begins, I'm an apostle by the will of God, set apart for your edification. He ended in the last uh, book that he wrote, the letter that he wrote to the Corinthians. He said, listen, my apostleship is verified by the fact that you're saved now. That's the gospel that came. But there was this contingent that came from Jerusalem, these Judaizers that followed Paul everywhere he went, come in and straighten him out. Years ago, I had a young man, and I love him, came to Christ in our church, and pretty soon he decided the, Cal, the, doc, the Institutes of Calvin were the only thing that we should study. And he said, you know, Pastor, I think we ought to disciple all of our people getting saved to the Institutes of Calvin. I said, well, I'll tell you what, bud. When you lead somebody to the Lord, you disciple them how you want to. Oh, because he wasn't an evangelist. He was just interested in the, the deeper things, you know, how to just come along straighten everybody out. That's the same way these Judaizers were. They just came to scatter, to pull a crew to themselves. It was factious. Why they didn't just go do their own thing? Because Satan wants to confuse. So Paul says, I have the message. And he says, Timothy, our brother. Timothy had been there already. He brought the last report back to Paul of what's going on after Paul sent him there to teach and make sure things get straightened out. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are throughout Achaia in the whole region. Just as... Truth has its impact. False teaching has its impact also. So he said, this isn't just for you in Corinth because he knows how things happen. You know, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 5, leaven can leaven the whole thing. Just a little bit of poison. I had a, a good friend of mine. Uh, we went back to Rockford one time and he was teaching a Sunday school class. And he talked about just a little bit of poison, just a little bit of impurity. He held a glass of water up, cold, clear. He said, you know, looks good, doesn't it? What if I told you I got it out of the toilet? Mostly pure. Fresh water comes in the toilet every time you flush it, but you don't want to drink it. And so we don't want a little bit of leaven. Now, folks, in our church, we know that on Little doctrines here, little doctrines there. There's some people that disagree. We don't have a problem with that. We want to teach what we teach, but we don't want somebody coming in and calling out a herd, right? We don't want somebody coming in and saying, well, the pastor says this. Well, we know the elders teach this. We know what the doctrinal position of the church is, but let me let you in on a little secret. And they begin to have their own little Bible study. 
their double secret Bible study, and pretty soon they've got people disaffected. You see, if somebody's really honest, they'll come in and say, Pastor, um, before I join the church, I want you to know that I don't believe in elder rule, for instance. I come from a congregational rule church. And we say, okay, can I still join? Well, sure you can. Are you willing to submit to the leadership of this church? No problem. We've, we've had people of different doctrines, and that, that's maturity. As, as I've grown, and as we mature as a church, we don't have to die on every little jot and tittle of difference. At the same time, we don't need people causing dissension either. And so Paul writes to bring comfort because they are suffering. When a church is going through that kind of trauma, they are suffering. Besides, they're suffering for the stand of Christ. It's traumatic. And the sheep get all stirred up. You can learn something when you work around sheep. Dr. Barrick talked about it. And uh, when I worked for the Howe family, the last summer I was a senior in high school, and uh, they had a lot of cattle. They had even more sheep, and for the most part, the sheep were taken care of by herders, but when it came time for shearing and docking, we'd gather them all together, and all of us would get involved. And I remember the experience. They have these big snow fences set up and kind of a funnel, and so we just kind of get with a guy space between us, and we just get them all hurt in there, and every once in a while, some sheep would turn around, and he'd look at you. And he was looking at that gap between me and the next guy. Usually it was Phil. And then he'd take a run at it. Now, if you didn't deal with the one sheep, you'd have to get the whole bunch back. And so it was like playing football. Here come that sheep. And about the time he'd get between you, he'd jump in the air like he's going to jump by. And I'm telling him, I would just slam that sheep to the ground. And he'd get up, shake his head, and walk back in the herd. And everything was fine. Now, we don't treat people that way. But what would happen to you? I found out if you let one get by, oh, it's just one. Oh, no, no. The rest of them go, hey, what was that? Where'd he go? I don't know, but we got to go too. And the whole bunch would leave. To where? I don't know. There's no protection out there. There's nothing happening out there, but they all had to go. That's what happens. So shepherds have to be vigilant. Vigilant. And we'd like, I, would, I would love it if the Lord dealt with all problems, with all sin, with all faction. But he's given us that responsibility, hasn't he? We need to love the church enough that we deal with things. So Paul says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now we see that in his greetings all the time. Grace and peace. And I like to remind us what it means every time. Grace is the ability and the desire to be obedient to the Lord. Now, you've heard that it's, it's unmerited. Yes, it's unmerited. God just graces us with it. He gives it to us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. By grace are you saved, unmerited. And that, and by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. But what is it that caused you to see your lost condition? 
You can ask any unsaved person, most unsaved people, are you a sinner? Yeah. But what motivates them to do something about it? That's grace. When God begins to work in their heart. The second verse of Amazing Grace, it was grace that taught my heart to fear. A lot of people out there know they're sinners, but they're not worried about it. Grace comes in and begins to be concerned about the fact that, hey, I'm lost. This stuff is pulling me down to hell. And then grace, my fears were relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed? Because grace also gives the ability to hope in Christ. So grace is the power and the desire to be obedient to God. Then he says peace. What is peace? Peace is that supernatural confidence that in spite of turmoil, in spite of tests, in spite of persecution, you are perfectly confident that you are in God's will. So in spite of the faction going on, in spite of persecution they might be having, in spite of trials they might be in that's just maybe a part of being a human being, God gives confidence. I often wonder how in the world People that aren't saved ever stay together. How in the world do people make it when trouble comes? When they get the news, you have this or that disease. Now, we'll talk more about Ray. By the way, his funeral is not tomorrow, but a week from tomorrow, 11 o'clock in the morning, the 20th of November. And that is going to be some celebration. And we will remember what a joy he was to us. I loved asking Ray, how you doing, Ray? He'd say, I'm doing, I'm doing so good, I can't stand it. And you know, he was very strong for a long time. Jumping out of plane when he was 80, you know, for his birthday, went and jumped out of a plane, parachuted. But even when he had his walker, his oxygen... He said, I'm doing so good, I can't stand it. Why? Because his hope and his peace was in Christ. I remember, and we'll talk about it then too, but I remember right after Sherry died, they'd only been here, not even a year, I think, maybe a year, and his wife went to be with the Lord. And Ray came to me, he said, Pastor, I don't understand. My beloved just passed away, and I am so full of joy. I said, Ray, that's grace. That's God applying the truths and the hope of his word, his promises to your heart. It's not just an idea. That's what the Holy Spirit does in our relationship. He lifts our head. Verse 3, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Now where is it we get our comfort from? As believers, first of all, it's the truth of the word of God. It's God's word, his promise to us, that he's going to keep his promise. It's also his grace that applies the word of God to our heart and gives us hope and peace in every situation. So it's God's truth and by his Holy Spirit, his grace, so that we have hope. He works in our heart. It's real. 
If you've been in any trial as a believer, you know it's scary. You don't know how it's going to turn out, but then God's word comes to your mind. You say, God's got this. Pastor Howe is always saying in trials as we're meeting together in our small groups and our prayer groups and our staff, well, it went through God's hands first. See, we know, know that God is sovereign. That means he's the king, that he's in control of everything. And he knows about every single trial, even the ones that we think are small. Even the ones that we think, well, I don't need to bother God with this. No, he says, you bring it. Don't be anxious about anything, but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God, and the God of all peace will comfort your hearts. It's his truth. Paul, in this book, in this letter, is going to give us all kinds of truth that will comfort our hearts. He's going to give us truth about salvation. He's going to give us truth in chapter 5 about death. He's going to give us truth about how we succeed financially because we still have to live in this world in chapter 8 and 9. Talks about our giving and his provision for us. Those are all truths. But pretenders come to the word of God and they say, yeah, but I got to live this life. And they, they go away. Those that are just observing the Christian life, they say, well, that's good for so-and-so, but you know, here's where I have to live. So they take here and there what's good for them. But a believer comes to the word of God and he recognizes this is God's word and the new desire of his heart is to please God by obedience. Now, it's not easy. It's not always easy to understand, but that's where comfort is. Psalm 119, 9 through 11. How can a young man make his way straight? Why? Because there's always trials. There's pitfalls. There are, are temptations. How can you make your way straight? How can you come to the Lord one day and have the Lord say, well done, straight path? By taking heed according to thy word. And the word becomes spiritual food, so much so that the psalmist says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. Because his desire is to please God. That comes from God. That's not something you work on the outside. That's his grace. And so in trials, he comforts us with all comforts. The knowledge that he is sovereign, that he's in control. The knowledge that the worst thing can happen is not death. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. The knowledge that he knows and that he's going to bring us through this trial. Romans chapter 5, or excuse me, Romans chapter, yes, verse 5. It says that in these trials, we are stretched and made stronger. In the trials. And so we can trust God in all those things and be stronger. That's how he comforts us. And then he brings grace that even the darkest, darkest moment, like Ray losing Sherry, he had hope. He had joy because he knew where Sherry was. And it was an amazing thing to watch as Ray and Sherry, fairly new couple in our church at the time, the church just surrounded him. And at 70-some years old, 
Ray began to serve the Lord like he'd never served before. So full of joy. He began to minister. I talked to people all the time. When we heard Ray died, people, oh, Ray was my friend. I said, you know, he was just precious. No, no, no. You don't understand, Paul. He was my friend. I had something special with Ray. Why? Because Ray was full of the Holy Spirit. Now, Ray would say, well, I'm not much. But he was much because of his love and how the comfort, as God comforted him, he comforted others. Verse 4, God comforts us in all our affliction so that we'll be able to comfort those who have any affliction in the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Isn't it true? When you go through a trial, there are two things that happen. When you patiently, as he says here, when you patiently endure in a trial, there's two things that happen. You come out on the other side, and next time that trial comes, you say, well, not excited about it, but we've been here before, and God is faithful. And I know the way through this trial. What is it? To go to God and to rest in his word. And the other thing that happens is you know the way through the trial. When people have seen that you have suffered, it's easier for them to come to you. Easier for them to listen to you. There's a movie Clint Eastwood did about how his neighborhood went bad and he had this really special old car and he got to, a lot of people from Asia were moving in and he was a gnarly old Marine and just kind of used to people being the same. But his wife passed away and he had a young priest that came to minister to him. And he had to get to know that fellow because just the fact that he was young, he figured, well, he hasn't suffered much, so he doesn't know what I'm going through. And he rejected him. That's the way people treat us. Because, see, it's not just about having head knowledge about things. People want to know if you can really have empathy with them. And it may not be the exact same kind of trial they're going through, but when, when we've suffered, we've been stretched. We've been given strength and comfort from God. So Christy and I have lost a child. So when you hear about somebody else, this happens a lot. My, my friend um, lost a baby. Do you think you and Christy would go talk to them? Well, I'd love to go talk to them. Because as sad as those times are, the thing that we remember most in our heart was the comfort that God gave us. In the trial. And other people were on the outside looking, going, how in the world can they bear up? Not us. I remember making a decision in my own brain. I am not going to play pastor right now. I am hurting. So I'm just, whatever happens, happens. I'm not playing. This is real. And God comforted us and gave us scripture and carried us through. Other people said, how did you do that? We didn't do that. The Lord did that. And because of that, then I in confidence can tell you, listen, the God of all comfort will comfort you in any affliction and you're going to be able to comfort other people better because you've gone through that. God is so good. Whatever the trial is this coming, 
You can get all stressed. You can get angry. Or you can rest. Doesn't mean there's no fear. Never been in that kind of a trial? Maybe it's a loved one and the doctor's giving you bad news. This is not going to turn out for life here, but we can go back and rest. It's like Brian Fortman did as a brand new believer when they woke up in the morning his, and his, his dad, probably his best buddy in the world, Mike, had had a stroke and the doctor said, mm, no, not going to make it. Brian said the first reaction to a 60-year-old just received Christ that night. Was first fear, then briefly anger, then hold it, the realization. Hold it. I know God. I can talk to God about this. Where does that come from? Had he had a seminar, a seminar on how to pray? No. He had a lot of teaching? No, he's a brand new believer. But he had a relationship. He had a relationship with God. And there's this life that God called him to himself, and even in that trial with no experience before, he said, Lord, I'm going to rest in you and begin to pray. He comforts us in all our affliction that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort that we ourselves are comforted by God. Now, there are troubles that come because of the human condition. Job 5, one of Job's friends said, well, man is born to trouble as sparks fly up. That's true. My own paraphrase is everybody hits the wall. If you are loving people and build a relationship with people, they may not need the Lord right now. They may not need you right now. But if you will live out your life before them, they're going to hit the wall. And when they hit the wall, they're not going to go to their party friends. They're going to come to you. Maybe it's just for a little bit. And say, hey, um, would you pray for me? Or maybe they just come to you and they just say, here's what's going on. And as you, a faithful friend, say, well, let's play or pray about that right now. It's just part of the human condition. Then there's suffering in the next verse here that comes because of your stand for Christ. He identifies with that. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, he's not talking about the suffering he did on the cross. That's done. But the fact that we represent Christ, that we are the body of Christ in the world, Satan hates Christ. He hates everything that belongs to Jesus. And so there's suffering that's going to take place because of our identification with Jesus. He said, yes, those are always abundant too. Not only is there human condition, sin came in, death passed upon all men. Everybody experiences that. Everybody experienced trouble. But we're not alone. Neither are we alone. We suffer because of our identification with Christ. There are ours in abundance, but comfort is ours also. When we patiently endure, when we rest in the Lord, we wait for him, he lifts our head. And probably like no other time, you experience the presence of God in trouble, in trial. He says, but if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort. Paul understood that. If we go through some afflictions, I know we're going to learn something to be able to share with you a testimony. That's why we have people pray. That's what he's going to end. We're going to end this morning with verse 11. 
And so when we tell somebody I'm going through this, some people want to keep everything to themselves. I think it's because they think, well, if I don't tell anybody, it's not real. It won't be as real. When we first discovered that Jesse had passed away, I just shut down. I'm going to just take care of my family, and we're not going to tell anybody. And the God is so good. But at that time, Wade called. And I said, Wade, here's what's going on, but don't tell anybody. (laughs) He didn't listen to me. Next thing you know, there's a whole bevy of women there. And two or three men came, and they just sat with us. They just sat with us. What comfort? How much did I learn as a young pastor about comforting people? About waiting. People always say, well, let us know if you need anything. They're not going to tell you. You just got to show up. You just got to show up and bring stuff. I never experienced so much food in my life. So I'm not hungry. But you know what? Other people are coming, so you bring food. Other people are coming to comfort. You just bring food. I learned so much during that time. And then I'm able to comfort, just like as you have been through a trial, to come say, listen, God's word is true. There's hope. You didn't lose your loved one. They're with the Lord. And we sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. And there's nothing wrong with sorrowing. We're missing Ray. As much as we knew that he was comforted in the Lord's arms, we sorrowed and we heard because our friend's not here. And we love our friend. Happens every time. And even though the sting is taken out of death, the sting is taken out of the grave, because they're not out there never to be seen again if they knew the Lord, we still sorrow, but not as others who have no hope. And when we're afflicted, Paul says, when we go through trials, I'm just gaining more strength be able to share more comfort with you. I found another way through a different trial. But if we are afflicted, it's for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it's for your comfort, which is effective in the patient enduring of the same suffering which we also suffer. And our hope for you is firmly grounded, knowing that as you are sharers of our sufferings, so also you are sharers of our comfort. Sometimes when a pastor sees even a young believer, going through a trial, it's kind of scary. We say, Lord, that seems like a lot. But see, he's the real shepherd. The only comfort we can bring, really, is the word of God and our comfort, but God steps in, he comforts, and that's Paul's, that's Paul's strength. That he doesn't have to be every place. That the Holy Spirit is there with those believers And whether he can be there or not, he knows that God's comfort is available. Then Paul, in verses 8 through 11, talks about a trial that he'd been through. Maybe they didn't know about this. But he said, we do not want you to be unaware, brethren, of our affliction which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened excessively beyond our strength. You ever been there in a trial? I remember by myself, I don't want Christy to go, driving to the funeral home to make the arrangements. I was just passing by 4G fuel and I had the thought, Lord, 
You overestimate my strength. You overestimate my ability. And the Lord whispered to my heart. It wasn't an audible voice. He just ministered his word to my heart. I'm not looking at you, son. And my heart was lifted. He knows just how to bring that right person next to you to squeeze your elbow or give you a hug. And you know, when you're going through deep sorrow, it's not, you may think if you just show up to give a bunch of verses, you know, even though it's God's word, if it's not ministered by the Holy Spirit, it's just more words. When people are hurting that bad, they don't need more words. But in time, because the Holy Spirit whispers his word too, if you've hidden it in your heart. But a caring person comes along and says, listen, God laid this on my heart today to share with you. And then those words of comfort, they lift us up. But there is no trial taken us, but such as is common to man. Now listen, that's not comfort. Just because other people have died before doesn't mean that that's a comfort to you, right? But the part that says, but God is able to carry you through that trial. He'll not suffer you. He'll not allow you to suffer above your ability. Why? Because he's there bearing you up. He'll always make a way, not out, but through the trial so that you may be able to bear it. He strengthens you. It's like when those young men in the weight room used to go for a, a max and we'd teach them how to spot. And if it was a really big one, then the coach would have to get in there. I'd get in there and spot them. And they get all the way down to the bottom and they start up and sometimes they couldn't come and I just put my hands on their chest and we both stood up together. Or they're doing a bench press. And you try to let them have all they can, but then you just push that little bit, just that little bit. I get it. The Holy Spirit knows exactly what we need. We look at the trial from the outside and we say, we could never do that. I could, you say, I can never go through losing a child or I, never could, I couldn't stand if I lost my spouse. Or, and you look at trials, I, I don't know if I would stand if I was persecuted for my faith and threatened. I think Warren Wiersbe used the illustration of one of the church fathers who was supposed to be burned to the stake. And so before it came to that time, he had a candle in his cell and he just held his hand over the fire and it burned him and he pulled it back and he thought, I'll never be able to do it. But see, grace is for the trial. God always shows up. He gives supernatural strength, supernatural ability, supernatural peace, supernatural hope in the trial when he needs to. But Paul says it was beyond our strength. We despaired even of life. Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we could not trust ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. I think it was Jimmy or someone who preached this last year that reminded me of a quote from Band of Brothers. He said, you're not going to be in the battle right older officer sharing with a private first time in battle he says I just want to run I'm so afraid he said well the first thing you got to do is just realize you're already dead just realize you're already dead 
That's what Paul said. My life is dead and I am hidden in Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but not I, who Christ, but Christ who lives in me. You are going to live until God decides he's going to take you home. Isn't that precious? The doctrine give you the sentence of cancer or of this or of that or somebody threatens your life. But see, you're precious to God. You have a personal relationship with him. And your life is hid in Christ. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. He'll decide. He knows the days. He knows what your responsibilities are. He knows how he's gifted you. He knows what he's put in front of you. Jonathan Edwards said, the sovereignty of God is the safest doctrine in all of Christianity for us. That we can trust that God is in control. You can't handle it, but he knows. And he has a way through. He said, we trust in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a peril of death and will deliver us. He on whom we have set our hope, he will yet deliver us. You also joining and helping us through your prayers so that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the favor bestowed on us through the prayers of many. You've seen the bumper sticker, prayer changes things. No, it doesn't. God changes things. Well, why do we pray? I don't understand everything about prayer. But this verse here says, God many times will, he wants us to be sharing our burdens. We're to be bearing one of those burdens. And so you share the prayer request. And I tell people, often people come and say, Pastor, would you pray for us? I said, we're going to pray right now. So we stop right here in front, wherever we're at, we're going to pray right now. And so we pray. And after we pray, I said, now you let me know what God does. Because we want to rejoice together in our God. And he said, you know what? You're part of this deliverance. God made you part by calling you into partnership and praying. A couple of Fridays ago, we had a funeral for a young man. Good friend of Christie's. Her son passed away suddenly. And you know what my great strength was? My great hope? Because then we had this opportunity to minister to part of Laramie that we don't get to minister to a lot. And they were all here. Later, I was talking to Christy and Margie, and I said, what kind of activity would you have had to have to get that many people from that part of our community in here so we could share the gospel with them? I don't know anything else. But my confidence as a pastor that was day was because my prayer warriors had been praying for me in the morning. Margie told me that, and I rested in that. I know that every week... My church is praying for me. I know especially those prayer warriors, they pray for everything that's going on. In all of our small groups, when something comes to the, head, to, the, to the knowledge of the church, what do we do? We go to pray. And God called them into partnership to pray for Paul. And he said, I want to tell you when I get there about how God delivered me. And then what do we do? We share that with everyone, don't we? We hear the story. We prayed for the graves when they were in Indonesia. We pray for them when they're in Mongolia. We didn't know every day what they were going through, but we prayed, Lord, protect them. Lord, take care of them. And then we got to hear the story of how those radicals surrounded their house and they were going to kill them and burn the whole house down and how God hid things and showed things and protected them. And they came back and went, wow, our God is powerful. That's what Paul was going to do probably give them all the details we don't know what this was 
We can guess because all the other things Paul have been through, but he's going to share that with the church. He said, I'm so thankful that you were praying for me. Why does God have us pray? Sometimes he called us into prayer and he's going to take that loved one home. That's deliverance too, is it not? That's deliverance. We really begin to live when we begin to breathe heaven's air. He wants to show us what he's going to do. When someone comes to us in obedience, the Bible says in James 5, is any sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And you in obedience, many times you do that. And that's kind of scary because you're saying, okay, here's a problem I can't handle. Pastor, would you get the guys together and pray for us? You bet we will. And as those elders gather around, they pray. We don't say, you pray this, you pray that. We just begin to pray. Somebody will pray. Lord, if there's son, some hidden thing, some sin, Lord, bring that out. Because sometimes we have sinner life that's just kind of a blind side. We don't even think about it. God, bring, bring that out. But we know that somebody's, somebody's not always sick just because of sin, but we, somebody will pray that. Somebody will pray, God, heal them. Somebody will pray, God, give them strength. Strengthen their, their loved ones during this trial. You're the great healer. But Lord, we have peace. And what we find out when we're praying many times is just God gives us peace about what he's doing. We have rejoiced watching brothers and sisters go home to be with the Lord. That's deliverance. And we have rejoiced as God has healed someone to give them more opportunity for ministry now, here. Now, the rest of this chapter is about Paul's integrity. He said he promised he was coming. But what, God want, what Paul wants to emphasize to these people, that goes all the way through uh, verse 4 of the next chapter, is that, listen, I know I've been harsh with you because this is serious things we're dealing with, but I'm led of God. I may have a desire to go do something, but I'm being led of God. So even though I wanted to come, there came a point where I knew I couldn't go because it wasn't time yet. I wanted to be encouragement. Who's going to encourage me if it's not you? His heart was so heavy for this church. And even though he wanted to come, he didn't come. And he's saying, listen, I'm not trying to make an excuse. I'm not saying, yeah, I'm vacillating because that's what the false teachers saying. Oh, see, he said he's coming. He's not even coming. Listen, those false teachers didn't want Paul to show up. But while he was not there, they were willing to undercut his ministry, to undermine him, to bring questions in the mind of the people. Paul said, I'm coming. Mark my word, I am coming. But I am coming on God's plan. Sometimes that happens to us in ministry. We as elders, a couple years ago, thought, oh, you know, the Lord has led us. We're going to build a new entrance so we have easier time getting it out. We're going to do this, and that's what it is. And the Lord used the city, and we recognized, you know, we could have got upset at the city. Well, they're always causing us problems. That's not what's going on. It was so huge that we said, God said no. And you know what? We were excited about that. We, we were wrong. We, we thought we had the money. Here it is. Let's just do this. And we were praying. The Lord knows how to stop you. He did. And we rejoice. That's all that's happened to Paul here. He says, when I come, I want to be an encouragement. And it wasn't time yet. Paul's example in suffering and his integrity in following the Lord's leadership. Father, we thank you for your love for us that we can lean on you. We can rest in your word. 
Your word can be a light to our path in the darkness, even when we don't know what the next step is. Even when we're overwhelmed in a trial, you are the God of all comfort. Lord, help us, give us faith, give us grace to rest in that, not in our circumstances. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.